Amen. You know, I love Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. You know, we've been in this series called Re- Renew the Church, and, and uh, this says Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I want to add to it uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 6. And you may want to look that up and then put your bulletin or mark it with your finger or something. But uh, we'll be in First uh, John 2, 1 through 6 as well. You know, I submit to you this morning that we become like those we are around. We become like those we are around. For instance, as I grew up, even without realizing it, I began walking like my dad. Okay, And I, I realized that the other day. I got up out of a recliner, and I was walking across the, the living room floor, and I was, I was walking like my... No, I was walking like my dad. But, you know, we just do it. We, 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 we become like those we are around. You know, I've also picked up several other habits and characteristics from him. Most of those are desirable. Some, well, maybe not so much. But I recognize that we're looking at that from a physical point of view. Now, there's another point of view, a spiritual point of view. And, um, you know, we walk in someone else's steps. And his name is Jesus Christ. See, when a person first comes to Christ for salvation, there there is an instantaneous change that takes place in their heart and in their life. But it's very natural for them to retain some of the old characteristics of their old life. However, as they grow and mature in the Lord, there should be changes that take place in their life. You know, these changes, they're produced as we learn more about God, about Jesus Christ, about His Word. These changes take place in our heart, but also as we yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. I mean, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. But if we're going to walk the way Jesus walked, then we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. And hopefully as we do that, these, as these changes take place, we find that our attitudes and, and our actions and our attractions become less like the old pre-salvation person and look more like our Lord Jesus. You know, we had a visitor in our house the second half of this week, Mr. Beckett. And um, this is Mr. Beckett. This is one picture. There's another picture of him up there as well. And you know, it's, it's perfectly natural for a baby to act like a baby. I mean, they speak their own language. They enjoy throwing their drinking cup around. They soil their diapers and they play with their toes. But as they begin to grow, they begin to change and they they, they take on the characteristics of those around them. And they begin to act more like people and less like babies. I'm not saying that babies aren't people. They are. They're just got some weird habits. But it's kind of the same way, it's kind of the same way with us as God's children. 
When we're first saved, it's natural for us to stumble along, walking around like we have wobbly legs and we don't quite get it and we're, we're stumbling into stuff. But as time passes, we should begin to mature and to take on characteristics of our Savior. That's what John tells us when he says we are to walk like Jesus. To walk like Jesus. And this morning, I want to help you to see where you stand with the Lord. I mean, are you maturing in your relationship with him? Let me ask the question before that. Do you have a relationship with him? Because you won't be maturing in that relationship if you don't have a relationship with him. But understand that the day, the day of the church is not over. Even though our society would like to believe that. You know, I saw an advertisement on television. It's going to be on CBS for a comedy entitled Living Biblically. We're here today because we want to live biblically. But what Hollywood is saying is that we're going to single you out and we're going to ridicule you and we're going to make fun of you for doing that. So recognize that the day of the church is not over. The church belongs to Christ. And he's the head and we are his body. And the life of Christ is the life of the church and that life can be renewed In him who is our life. You see, it's all about him. It's not about us. See, the church, though, must choose its direction. The world's plan or God's plan? We have to choose that. The mold of the world or the mind of God? Because this is what renewal is. Because when the church yields to God's will... It'll be renewed spiritually. Read with me in Romans 12, and then we're going to go to 1 John 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I love hearing pages turn. It tells me you brought your Bible and you're ready to study God's Word. I can't really hear your... You know, iPad. (laughs) Beginning in verse 1, chapter 2, 1 John, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of, For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Father, I thank you for this time. And I ask God that your word would just penetrate our hearts. Father, that you would renew our walk, that you would renew our church. Father, that you would renew your church. God, I pray that your word would penetrate deeply. And God, that we would come under conviction because of your word. And Father, that we would confess our sin to you. So that times of refreshing and times of renewal can come. Father, we thank you for loving us so very much that you gave your son Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would guide us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this prayer, renew my church, is also the prayer to renew my walk. If God is going to renew the church, then that means each one of us have a renewed walk with him. It's not something that they can be separated. Uh, they're, they're, they're not separate that way. They're together. And it's God's plan that the church be renewed in mind, in ministry, in faith, and in a walk that is disciplined by Jesus Christ. Now, understand, I am the chief of sinners. I'm not batting a thousand here. But I'm willing to confess it to the Lord that he might bring times of renewal in my life. You know, I, I recognize that a renewed walk involves a disciplined life. And we don't like discipline. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. But there's two aspects that I want to talk about when I talk about that walk. And that, that walk that I'm talking about is our daily life with Jesus. Okay? Walking with him. And the, the two aspects are the roots of that walk... You picture a tree, the roots of that walk that go down deep, and then there's also the fruit of that walk, and what those, the fruit of that walk looks like. So we're going to start with the roots, and then we'll talk about the fruit. But, but let's talk about the roots of a, discipled, a disciplined life. See, a disciplined life, according to Scripture, is that it is a life that is a living sacrifice. It is a living sacrifice. And the word living sacrifice describes the Christian life as a disciplined life in our walk. Now, understand that the backdrop for this, in the background of all of this, is worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Okay? You have this backdrop of that, okay? You, you have the sacrificial system of, of offering sacrifices. And the word present in Romans 12 is a technical term for presenting the Levitical offering. They're presenting it before God. And he says here to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And these offerings in the, in the temple required a priest, they required a, an altar, and they required a sacrificial animal. Those three things. Now today we're not required to offer an animal. But we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We are priests to God. We have our altar in Jesus Christ. 
and our very lives are the sacrifice. And we present our bodies in death. That means we die to ourselves. We die to our own goals, our own ambitions. We die to self and we offer it to him. We offer our life to him. We even offer our own conformity to the world to him. As part of that living sacrifice. Now in verse 2 in John... It said something that is a very big word. It said, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. What does that, what does it mean to have the propitiation for our sin? You know, that's a big word. And the word in the Greek is helasmos. You don't have to remember that, but it's helasmos. And that'll come in in just a moment. Um, It's connected with the blood of Jesus if you back up in, in 1 John 2, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. The propitiation is connected with the blood that Jesus shed for us. Now, now let me show you how this is connected. The word is helasmas. And it comes from the word hilasterion. Okay, hilasterion is the Greek word in the New Testament, which means mercy seat. In the backdrop is the temple in in Jerusalem, okay, the sacrificial system. You remember that the mercy seat, it was the solid gold piece that sat on the Ark of the Covenant. Contained inside the Ark of the Covenant were the tablets of the law. This is interesting because the law condemns all men, all people. But on top of that was the mercy seat and God could look at man not because he had fulfilled the law, but because of the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Okay, so what we have here is when the high priest would come in on that one day a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would come in, he would take blood of the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And when he did that, immediately God said, I will meet you right here. I will meet you in fellowship with you in the blood on the mercy seat. I think that's very significant because the Apostle Paul picks it up in Romans 3 verse 25 and he says that Jesus is our mercy seat. It's where the blood is. It is where we meet with God. And I think this is so huge because it is through him and his shed blood that we can enter into fellowship with God. You see, the blood of Christ not only paid for your sins, it is also the bridge that allows you to enter into fellowship with God. See, we need that. Because without him, we can do nothing. A disciplined life it was a life of sacrifice. Luke 9, 23 speaks of that, taking up our cross daily. It means death to our sinful ways of life. And have you built an altar in your life? Are you, are, have you built that altar with Christ Jesus so that God would meet you there? I think that's important. 
Have you put yourself on that altar as a living sacrifice? Have you put your all, have you put all that you have on that altar? Because, see, we don't want to do that. We want to keep some for ourselves. We only want to give God what we want to give him. But it doesn't work that way. Oh, yeah, we can work it that way, but we're not going to have victory in our life. We're not going to be renewed in our walk until we give it all to him. We sing about it. We sing Jesus paid it all. But then we don't want to follow suit. We don't want to put our all on the altar. It's fine that Jesus paid it all for me. Hey, my way is paid. Great. Thank you, Jesus. No, there's more to it than that. We have to put ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. A disciplined life is a living sacrifice. A disciplined life also thinks with sound judgment. I mean, Romans 12, 3, it says that we are to think as to have sound judgment. It says we shouldn't think more of ourselves than we ought to think. Some versions translate that word as soberly or as self-controlled or as disciplined. See, a disciplined mind, it governs all passions. It governs all desires so that the believer becomes conformed to the mind of Christ. We walk in this way. See, we are to think disciplined thoughts about ourselves. You let your mind wander? You let your mind just wonder what could be? It says we're supposed to think disciplined thoughts about ourselves, not thinking more highly than we ought to think, not look at me, look at what I've done, look at where I've been, look at all this that is all about me. No, we're, we're, to, we're to, to not be proud. We're not to be self-absorbed or self-controlled. Excuse me, we are to be self-controlled and disciplined. See, but that's the problem, is we live in a society that is eat up with self-absorption. They're all about themselves. They're all about being proudful about who they are and where they are. I mean, I just know there's a lot going on in our nation right now. And our nation needs prayer. Our schools need prayer. Our leadership needs prayer. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to evidence that through a humble and surrendered attitude. I mean, the kind of life that God gives to the believer is written in 2 Timothy 1, 7, when he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. We need more discipline. See, I would say to you that a disciplined life is also a yoked life. And I'm not talking about egg yolks. I'm talking about yolks that they yoke animals, beasts of burden together so that they can pull together in the same direction. Matthew eleven twenty nine says this. It says, excuse me, verse 28 and following says, Come to me. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, a disciple is one that learns from another. And they adhere their, to that person and the teachings of their master. 
And so disciples of Jesus are those who learn from Jesus and adhere to his teaching and to his persons. And we are basically yoked with Christ. We are hooked up to him. We are walking every day with him. But you see, a yoke is a symbol of submission. A yoke means I can't do whatever I want to do. It means I do whatever he asks me to do. However he leads me, I go. You see, a disciplined life is one that's submissive to the authority of Jesus Christ. I want to give you real quickly three words that deal with that. Three key words that are involved in that kind of submission. The first one is control. The disciplined life is under Christ's control. And that word control has to do with a meek spirit. And meekness is not um, associated with weakness. Just because it rhymes doesn't mean they go together. The word meek is pictured as that of taming a horse. Taming the spirit of a horse. Where when when a horse is tamed, it is broken under the control of its rider. That it will obey and follow wherever that, that, that rider wants to take it. In the same way, a disciplined life is broken under Christ's control. That we go where he leads and where he desires. And you see, Jesus' life was always perfectly disciplined. He was disciplined under the Father. I, I love this because he was constantly under the Father's control. And like that, we are to be constantly under Christ's control. Our will trained to his will. And see, we must strive to be consistent and disciplined and trained. You know, when I was a kid, we had a a German shepherd dog. And it was trained and it was obedient. But occasionally, he would demonstrate his animal nature by snapping at someone. He knew it was wrong. He knew he wasn't supposed to do it. But he did it anyway. See, many times we're like that dog. Self snaps back at God or at others. And we're disobedient to Christ's control in our life. And our attitude and our activities are undisciplined. The yoked life is one of Christ's control over us. The second word is consent. We become disciplined as we consent to be disciplined. Oh, we can be a stiff-necked people. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. But as we present our lives as a living sacrifice, it's by, it's by Jesus, it's by coming to Jesus, and, and as Matthew uh, 11 says, come you who are, are weary and, 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 and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. But it's a, it, he's not kicking the door down telling us, you have to take my yoke. It's something we do willingly. It's something we do voluntarily with our consent. See, we take his yoke and we learn more about him. But no one forces us to do that. We do it of our own volition, of our own will. See, if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, then we need to yield ourselves to him. And the third word there is completeness. 
This word involves all of life under Christ's control. It's the total discipline he demands. Now think about this with me for just a moment. The total discipline that Jesus Christ demands in our life. I mean, how disciplined are we to be? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 answers this question. It says, bringing into captivity every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Matthew 4 says it this way, that we must give an account for every idle word. I think I spoke a few idle words this week. Words that maybe I shouldn't have said. We're going to have to give an account for that. Luke 9.23 says we must take up our cross daily. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says in everything, give thanks. In everything. See, all of life, all of our life is to be under Christ's control. And he's to be the center of our goals and the center of our focus. But sometimes we get overwhelmed. We get overwhelmed by our circumstances. The things that are going on around us. We get frustrated by them. We get overwhelmed by them. And sometimes that's because we got our focus off of Jesus. Our attention gets focused outside of God's word. We start listening to other things that we hear on the radio and the internet. I hope you don't listen to stuff on Facebook. A lot of what's out there, there's some good out there, but most of it's not. But you see, we get our attention focused away from where it should be. We take our eyes off Jesus. We take our eyes off of his promises. We take our eyes off of his word. And what happens? We get overwhelmed by our circumstances. This happens because we're not consistently, moment by moment, living and walking in him. In the word. See, the very moment we stop looking at the Lord and we take our eyes off of him and we start looking at our circumstances, we get overwhelmed. And some of our overwhelmed comes from doubts coming in. But John tells us we know that we have come to know him. And it's a present tense. When we are knowing him all the time, when we are learning, when we are understanding, there's no room for doubting to come in. Because we're walking with him and he's reassuring us and he's given us that confidence. He's given us all of that assurance that we need. But folks, this is the root of the discipled life. I real briefly want to look at the fruit. Let's check on that. The fruit of a discipled life. The roots of a discipled life will be evidenced in the fruit. You know, my, my, my peach tree blossomed out. It's got little tiny peaches on it about that big. I hope a frost doesn't come. But if it does, he is the Lord of the harvest. He can do that. But the fruit is where we see and are able to see the results of the discipled, disciplined life. 
So let me ask you a, a few questions here. How disciplined? How disciplined is your attitude? Do you just let your attitude run wherever it needs to go? Wherever, you, wherever it might choose to go? Because if, you, if you're not disciplined in your attitude, you're going to be led astray. You're going to be overwhelmed. Because you're giving the enemy something to work with. How, are, how disciplined are you in your attitude toward yourself, toward God, toward others? I mean, do you have a love for the Lord? Do you have a love for your neighbor? How disciplined are you in your words? You know, Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How disciplined are you in your words? How disciplined are you in your morals? Folks, we are to seek a thoroughly uh, pure morality. We, we need to be pure in our thoughts and in our dealings. We are to seek that. How disciplined are you in your worship? I mean, we're to worship in private and we're to worship in public. How disciplined are you in the grace of giving? <laughs> is giving a grace that you experience or is it a task that you endure? Just so you understand, this is what Jesus said in Luke 6. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. <laughs> Don't be stingy when it comes to giving. Not because I'm telling you that, because Jesus said that. We're to walk as he walked. Give and it will be given. How disciplined are you in your devotional life? I mean, there's no mastery in the Christian life apart from a disciplined devotional life of reading God's word and prayer. Those two things. I mean, Jesus taught prayer as both private and public. He taught it as silent and spoken. He also taught it, taught it as seeking and waiting. But disciplined prayer is personal, it's honest, it's specific, and it's consistent. See, I think we need to read the Bible that way, just very expectantly, very submissively, and regularly. Sometimes we don't want to do that. How disciplined are you in your ministry? Each one of us has a ministry in the body of Christ. How committed, how disciplined are we in that? I mean, God's given every believer a ministry. But recognize that ministry is a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. Because we're responsible to each other. So to renew my walk and, and summon all of this up may mean to ch a change in, in masters. I might be on the wrong road. I might need to change the direction that I'm heading. But I guarantee you, Renewal will bring about fulfillment instead of frustration. It'll mean life of rest in my soul. And this is the prayer for the church that we need to pray. Renew my church, O oh Lord. 
Renew my walk. Renew my walk. Because just as Jesus was the manifestation of God as he walked this earth, we manifest Christ as we walk this earth. And hopefully when they see us, they should see him. If we're walking with him, when they see us, they will see him. You see, eternity hangs in the balance. People die every day and head off into eternity with or without God. Where do you stand today? Where do you stand? Are you in him? Have you committed your life to him? Are you walking as he walked? Folks, these are reasonable and honest questions. If we're called a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to be able to answer these questions. Are we walking as he walked? I mean, that's what John said. (laughs) The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment. You know, I know that the, the Lord deals with every one of us. He deals with our hearts. And so I want to ask you, why not come? Why not come and trust Jesus this morning? I mean, some of us maybe haven't met with him in his altar in a very long time. Some of us have stiffened our neck and said, we're not going to do that. But Jesus said this, he said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, And I will give you rest. This morning I want us to do something just a little bit different. I want us to do just that. Come to him. In a moment I'm going to lead us in prayer and a time of commitment. And I just want to ask you to remain seated. And as you focus your commitment to Christ... And only after a thorough examination of your own heart would you then stand and sing with us. This is not a rehearsal. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I ask you to come unto Him. Come for renewal in your walk with Christ. Come to trust Christ for the first time in salvation. Come for joining in our church family and membership. Or come for prayer. But come. Come unto Jesus this morning.